The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. So, I was told that I would be able to pick the topic this morning, and as I was thinking about all the different things that are going on in life and all the things that happen and the things we experience, the thing that kept popping up was fear. And so I decided to talk about 1 John 4.18. And so what I want you guys to do is to open your Bibles and place your finger there because we're going to go back to that. But with that, I was thinking about all the exhaustion and the seriousness and the silliness that can often be a part of the fears that we experience in our everyday life. About a week ago, I was at my house, and Scarlett, my oldest daughter, who's listening right now, was sitting on the floor watching a video about natural disasters and earthquakes. And I don't know if you guys know me, but I'm a worrier, or I can be a great worrier, and uh, the list of worry just goes from A to Z, and I'll sit there with you for a while, and you'll probably come out of that and go, man, this guy should probably live in a bubble. But... The reality is Scarlett started crying when watching the video and I didn't know what she was doing right away. And so I was kind of like, oh my gosh, what's what's going on? Because it was like, it just seemed like one of those like moments where like somebody's like crying and you're like, is there something happening that I'm not aware of? And she just said, dad, this could happen to us. It's just so sad. And she said a little more than that too, but some of it was kind of scary. So I'm going to refrain from saying that in case we have other littles in here. But uh You know, after a while, talking to Scarlett and sitting there with Scarlett and telling her, because Scarlett has had a pretty non-traumatizing life in the sense that she has never experienced an earthquake or a natural disaster. She has never suffered a huge loss or a huge tragedy yet um, that she can remember clearly. Um, But it's funny because isn't that how fear affects us? Like... Who's ever felt like that before? That something so trivial or something, something that you see has just launched you into some sort of a fear or um, something small has made you fearful. I mean, I remember like when a few years ago it was talking about how a tsunami might hit the coast. I remember kind of looking at Suzanne and be like, why would anybody ever want to live here? I'm like, we need to move. Like, because I'm thinking from my rural upbringing, and I'm like, I want to go back to New York. We don't have to worry about tsunamis there. There's no water there. You know, but there's blizzards, snowstorms. There's all sorts of stuff. I mean, it's not a better thing. I think I just, I just automatically, you know, go home. It's kind of like the survival tactic. You just go home. You know what I mean? And, uh, you guys are my home, so I take that back, okay? I take it back. All right. So anyways, uh, so these fears might seem silly to you, but... What fears aren't silly to you? What are the fears that you might be going through? How about losing a job or housing? How about fear of being homeless or never finding housing after being homeless for a period of time? How about a fear to share your thoughts because if you said what you were thinking, people might not like you anymore or want to be around you? How about losing a significant loved one to illness? Or how about that people seem one way when they're around you but then seem completely different when they're not. So kind of like you think they like you, but then they don't. And so you live in this constant fear that they really don't care. Or maybe that you're ugly and unlovable 
And so I'm going to be vulnerable with you. I hate this tooth on this side, okay? If you ever see me take a selfie, I do these things a lot. Or if I go face on, my mouth is shut because I hate it. And I'm going to be vulnerable because we should all be vulnerable and not care what people think. We should all be able to talk about these things because we love one another. And so, and so uh, yeah, you won't see that. But maybe that name that you were called or that experience that you had felt when you were younger or through your high school years or maybe even adulthood is somehow true to you because you feel like you are just hopeless or worthless. So we all have fears. And for some of us, our fear is a cell phone going off in the middle of a church service. <laughs> or, um, that's okay. No, yeah, it's, that's totally fine. I think it's funny. Um, so at times we've feared one of these things or we've feared all of these things. And to talk about it puts us in an uncomfortable situation because then we have to kind of face it head on and acknowledge it. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I want to give a few voices from around the world on fear. Fear has a large shadow, but he himself is small. And that is Ruth Gendler, the famous author. This is more of a saying, but I liked it. It was kind of one of those things you would share on your Facebook timeline. Fear has a large shadow, but he himself... Oh, I read it again. Fear has two meanings. Forget everything and run or face everything and rise. I really like that. Then the last quote here is from Rudyard Kipling, the author of The Jungle Book. Of all the liars in the world, sometimes the worst are our own fears. So with all this in mind and all the things you can look up and find about fear, I want to kind of give you guys a big thought this morning. And the thought is that God's love covers fears. And the big question we're going to look at is what is perfect love and how do we respond to it? So what are we to make of fear and how does one correctly respond to it? What are we to do and when does the field day we are having in our minds stop when we're having our fear? It would be easy for me personally to build a bunker and kind of wallow in misery and be away from you guys, right? But I think when we do that and we kind of privately struggle with our fear or anxiety or worry, what we're often doing is missing something that God is probably trying to show us or teach us, or we're missing out on true community that could really help us through that time. According to Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, the Bible mentions the word fear, and I counted like this, that was so tedious, 401 times. It also uses the phrase, fear not, more than any phrase in the entire Bible, at 365 times. Imagine the coincidence that we have one for every day of our calendar year. And so that's not biblical, okay? So I'm not trying to show you some code. So you can't tell the elders I'm a heretic, and please block Pat from going to get the bag of rocks in his car, because he's going to make a comment soon. <clears throat> And so with these citations of the word, fear as well as the many urges to fear not, I'm betting that this is something that we're supposed to pay attention to, that it's there for a specific reason. And so with that, I'd like to look at 1 John 4.18. And before we read the verse, I want to give you just a quick little bit of context, and it is that John is the same John that wrote the book of John and Revelation. We see that because the style is similar in many of the key concepts and themes. So if you were to look at all of those books, you'll see a lot of repeated patterns. Um, 
First John is an epistle or a letter, but because it is not specifically addressed to any church or group of people specifically, we are led to believe that he is writing to many churches that surround the area of Ephesus. So he's writing to many believers in many different areas to help them understand a better doctrine of the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus and how to conduct themselves in relationship to Jesus. Um, The writing took place around 85 to 90 AD, and he was writing to believers to sharpen them. So when you read the book, you should see John's thoughts more in a circular way of thinking rather than linear. So linear is like A to B, and circular means that he kind of walks around. So he'll have one paragraph that could be on one topic. The next paragraph could be a different topic. The third topic might jump back up and be the same topic as the first topic. So we could have camped out in 1 John for this entire sermon, but I wanted to pick uh, verses from a bunch of different spots so that we can just see how the Bible and how it works and how it's interconnected together. Um, So he's not a man with ADD. So if you read that book and you're like, man, he jumps around a lot. It's really so that he could come up with a complete thought for the reader so that it would explain itself and you you would walk away with less confusion than you had before you went to it. Um, so I noticed a lot of the loops and I could have stayed there, um, but I wanted to grab, like I said, just from a plethora of spots. So I want to go ahead and read first John four eighteen, and it says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And we're going to break this down into a couple sentences and we're going to use those as points. But Um, Something that I want to point out is that here in this, this is NIV, so you see drives out. In ESV, you see casts out. So it's got that um, real strong language that this perfect love is going to push out this fear. And if you read this, especially that last line where you would say, the one who fears is not made perfect in love, you'd be like, but wait a minute, I have fears. Am I not perfect in love? Am I not who I think I am? Am I not one of his? Because that's probably what you'd start asking yourself because I'll tell you, I have a closet full of fears. One of the fears that I deal with in my thought life is that I might die young because my grandfather died at 55 and his grandfather died at 52. My dad is trekking at 58, so I'm like, be the, be the pace setter, dad, be the pace setter. Um, another fear that I have is fear of my wife leaving me because my dad has had three marriages And another fear that I have is not being fully understood because I can send an email this long and then sometimes people say, I still don't know what you mean. (laughs) And I'm just like, but I said it three times. (laughs) And I sent you two emails. And so (laughs) there's real fear that I have. And we could be here all, all day long if I list them all. So it's hard for me to read that because then I'm like, what do I do with that? But I think what we're seeing here And what I'm going to prove to you is that this perfect love says less about us and it says more about God and God's perfect love and how we are to trust in how he loves us. And so how I see that is the first point is perfect love is what Jesus did on the cross. We exemplify perfect love when we trust in what only God could do. So there is no fear in love. But notice the conditional conjunction here, but. Perfect love casts out all fear. When researching some verses, this is what I found about love. 
I find it quite interesting because first we see what Jesus says about love, and then we see Jesus' actions in reference to love. So, to understand fear, being casted out by perfect love, we have to understand what perfect love is. It is not two people like Disney Plus, that met each other on two different continents, somehow interweaved with each other, saw each other, fell in love, reciprocated feelings, ran back to the castle, and lived together, and were happily ever after with their five kids, tiger, talking parent, whatever else they have. It is not that. Okay? The love that we're talking about today, the perfect love that we are seeing in this verse, talks about a God who loved a people so much that he saw their helpless state and their inability to give him anything, and he intervenes on their behalf, giving up the greatest sacrifice, his son, to make these people right with himself. Man could not reciprocate. They are to trust. It isn't Jesus died and now you're dying. I mean, figuratively, you are dying in the way that you live. But you cannot sacrifice the same way. His sacrifice appeased God. Our sacrifice doesn't. Our trust in his sacrifice does. That's amazing. He did what we could not do. We weren't able to reciprocate it. We can only respond to it. That's amazing. So let's check out Jesus' very own words. John 15, 12 through 13. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus was telling the disciples and those that were closest to him that there is no greater love than that of a man laying down his life for his friends. Perfect love was sacrificial. He was setting the stage for this great and perfect love that we can to know what that love and only that love could offer us. He left no other option for a greater love. It was a laying down of life. There will never be a great love shown to us, whether here on earth or in heaven, than what Christ did on the cross to seal our eternity in him. Jesus did what we couldn't do ourselves. Isn't that amazing? So check out Jesus' actions now, John 4, 9 through 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. It was all the work of God. It's amazing. Um, in the ESV, the word atoning, is, the atoning sacrifice for our sins is, is changed with propitiation, and it simply means God's wrath was appeased through Jesus, his death on the cross. And our faith in his death and resurrection makes us right with God. It was his work. There was no room for us to take credit of any kind. Isn't that incredible? God's love to us was shown in great majesty that he sent Jesus to die on our behalf that we may live through him. Jesus didn't need us. He chose us. His perfect love chose us. So when we fear and we think we're worthless, his perfect love chose you. Isn't that incredible? Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jump to verse 10. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Not only could we offer Christ nothing, we were his enemy. We were sinners. We were people separated from him. But his perfect love is going to cover the fear we have because if we trust him, we're being saved. Isn't that amazing? 
Have you experienced that perfect love before? Do you think of that perfect love when you're going through moments of doubt or fear? Number two, perfect love has changed our identity. We are not to live in fear of past events because the future outcome cannot change. If we trust in Jesus' work on the cross, we are no longer condemned. We are being saved. Isn't that incredible? So no matter what the gunk and the junk and all that stuff that's around you, that's going on, that would try to distract you or get you in the dumps or make you feel bad or, or uh, you know, that we, that we might feel the pain, the hurt, all of that, that doesn't change what's going to happen. When he died, he, he reassured our inheritance in him, right? And I'm going to show you that through some verses here. And uh, what I want to look at, can we go ahead and put uh, 1 John 4.18 back up there? If you look here, it says, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. When we see that word punishment, it just really stands out because you, I almost think of like, you know, when you know something's bad and you're like going and you're, you're going to go tell somebody something, but you have this like absolute fear that the worst thing's going to happen. Or like when something's happening in life and you're like, oh, the worst is going to happen, I already know it. But it's saying that, that when we understand perfect love, we're not supposed to live in fear because we're not being punished. That, that thing we're going through is not punishment. Um, so John three eighteen, and these are verses that I found while cross-referencing 1 John four eighteen, and that's what made me believe that perfect love was more about what God had done and less about us. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So we aren't being punished. When we have trusted and put our faith in Jesus, we are made right with God. It's a new position and identity before God. We are now held as righteous through Jesus. Jesus has made us right. While what we are going through seems heavy and at times unbearable or that the details of life are just piling up, we need to remember that our reaction to perfect love is what is pushing the fear and anxiety and worry from us. As we are walking and trusting in what Christ has done on the cross, we become new and do not have to be slaves to the fear that we have. And so I was thinking about kind of like how to get you to understand how we're made new or the change that has happened or kind of like the clean slate idea. And because it's playoff weekend, you know, it's the divisional or no, it's the championship round of the NFL playoffs. I wanted to use the example of a football uniform that has been through the mud and has gotten completely dirty. And I know people are like, they play on turf now. They don't even play on the grass. And I'm like, you know, you guys, you know, I'm talking old school, rocking the rock pile, like the hard football, you know, the Roger Staubach days. And the, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, you know, the real game. And so anyways, um, before it was, you know, you could hit people, like really hit people. And so anyways, um, <laughs> I know that you guys, if you were to like really think about these football uniforms, you would probably think about the grass stains. And mom and dads, you know how hard grass stains are to get out. My pants were thrown away on more than one occasion. But the incredible thing is like we are that football uniform or pair of pants. But God seeing our grass stains doesn't take us and throw us out. He bleaches us because where our sin was once scarlet, he has now made us white as snow. So that means that everything that's happened in the past, and I'm going to attach not just 
former life, but even stuff that you've experienced while you've loved Jesus, and maybe for a second you lost your way, or you thought outside of what God would have for you, and you've made some mistakes. That his love and what he's done and that ceiling, that thing I was talking about, that promise of eternity with him, it doesn't change. Like you can go back to him and he is faithful, right, to forgive or to help you through those times. And I was thinking about this because first John, there was a verse where it was like, if you go to Jesus and you talk to him, that he, he covers and forgives um, your sins. And I think, I think that's amazing because, you know, my fear, when I ask God to forgive me, did he really forgive me? How many of us live like that? And then you like sit there in your prayer closet and you're like, God, I'm so sorry. And you've said sorry for the same thing probably 20 times this month. And I guess I want you to know that God heard you the first time. And the promise was good the first time. And so that is something that you can take to the bank. And that is something that I, <laughs> I mean, I just, I just, I'm like, I'm like, is that really how easy it is? And the reason we don't think it's that easy whatever that looks like, is because a lot of times when we go to our friends, it's not as easy as saying, sorry, please forgive me. Then they're like, hey, remember that one time? God doesn't do that, okay? That's not God. God's perfect love, not human love. So think different. Um, Romans eight fifteen through 18, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. That's that change of identity that I was telling you, that second point, perfect love has changed our identity. We are now adopted in sonship. We are now his children. We are permanently in his family. John eight thirty five. Just to knock this one home. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. You have a permanent dwelling in Christ that he has given you. You are, you are sealed and you are secured in him. So you can trust that perfect love, right? And what, and what does that look like? So we are a new heir. We have a new identity. We have an inheritance in Christ. Notice that fear is likened to slavery. Through Christ's death and resurrection, our fear has been broken. We are now able to trust in his work and allow that to transform how we react in present circumstances. And then again in Romans 8, 1 through 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And so this, when you think of that, I want you to think, you know, He's covering the future. It doesn't matter past, present. He's covering the entire future. The outcome doesn't change. It stays the same. That, you know, if you've gone to him, you are not a bad person because you stole from Walmart at 16. That if you've asked him for forgiveness, you are truly forgiven from that. That you had an affair early in your marriage and you just can't, for whatever reason, get past the thought that it happened and that you're just an awful person and God's never going to forgive you. If you took it to him, he forgave you, okay? And from that point on, like that uniform, you are clean. So that means you live out the freedom that you've been given. That perfect love is still in effect the moment that you talk to God. It didn't go anywhere, right? So that means live unto him. Like, like take those past, present, those hurts, those fears, those anxieties, those things that you start to believe about yourself because 
of um, just life circumstance and take them to God and God's going God's gonna to fix that because his perfect love covers that. Um, so these should be held as meditations when we go through times of fear, when we start to go back in our thinking and believe that we are no good or lazy or that you are undeserving of love because you're ugly and unlovable. Trust in this perfect love that we could not do for ourselves. God loved you so much that he did an act of love that has never been bested. He said, greater love has no one than this. It's never been bested and it can't. That's, that's definitive language. He didn't leave a clause in there and say, until something better comes along. He never said that. Um, so trust in the perfect love that we could not do for ourselves And remember, no greater love than this. Also trust the identity that you have been given and cling to Jesus. Jesus will remain the same and hold you during natural disasters. Jesus will dry every single tear from your eyes. Jesus will make any pain or hurt feel more bearable. Maybe not all the time, but we're going to learn. And the pain hurts a little less because we feel comforted. Jesus will bring to mind great joy in times of growth when you are in a dark valley. So what are we to do? There's three things I want you to do this week. One is name your fear and place it before God. God, this is scary, but even if it's scary, you're in control. And I know that no matter what you have made for my life, my future is secure. There's nothing on this earth that can derail what you have done and are doing. Remember and trust God's perfect love, number two. In the midst of fear, instead of grabbing a self-help book or the newest TED Talk video, grab God's book and devour it. Look up those 365 references of fear not. Make it a devotional and remind yourself why you need not fear. Three, remember your identity. You are now adopted as sons and daughters in Christ. You are heirs. Heirs means there's an inheritance. Inheritance equals good. No matter what you face, whether dangerous, painful, or scary, the outcome and promise of eternal life remains the same. Does that mean it's easy? No, but with practice, you can learn to lean on God and allow him to navigate you through the fear. A good book you might want to look up that has done a lot for my thought life is Victory Over the Darkness by Neil T. Anderson. He teaches you about freedom and how to live in true freedom, which is only found in Christ. Um, If you've never read it, I, I... I double dog dare you to read it. It is such a good book. And it it will really help still a lot of those fears in your heart. So when you are in those darkest moments and your anxiety, fear, and worry is attempting to cripple you and rob your joy, remember to trust in God's perfect love and the length at which he was willing to go in order to bring you into a relationship with him. You are not worthless. You are worth sending his son for. That's incredible. He did something that you couldn't reciprocate. That's incredible. Lastly, remember that it isn't that you'll never be afraid. It's about trusting that if you believe in what Jesus did on the cross, then your past has has been covered. Don't live in the past. Look towards the future and the fulfillment of the promise that Jesus has given those that believe in him. If I could urge you to do anything, it's to fear not this morning. Please pray pray with me. Father, we just thank you so much that you have given us a spirit of freedom and not fear. God, I ask that you would help us to be honest and to come to you. God, humbly let us walk towards you. God, help us to realize who we are in you. Help us to realize just what great lengths you went to, God, to love us. 
as I, as I listened to the song this morning, there were no mountains you wouldn't climb up, no walls you wouldn't tear down. God, I just think about how that speaks of a perfect love that we can only experience in you. God, I ask that you'd be with us the rest of this morning and the rest of this week. Help us to walk with you during our fear and help us to see your amazing and perfect love. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. And also, house.